0: Have you ever walked into a large beauty retailer and felt lost and overwhelmed and wished there was a better option? Enter Storied Beauty, a skincare boutique and concierge service based in Dallas, Texas, carrying a tightly edited collection of vetted brands from across the world. Founder Lindsay Friedman offers complimentary skincare concierge sessions to guide her clients through an often overwhelming and saturated beauty industry. Lindsay works with clients all over the country, helping them to develop a regimen that works for their lifestyles. She will review what you're currently using and either make adjustments or suggest new products that complement your existing routine. Storied Beauty's curation is nearly all women-owned lines that cannot be found at every local big-box store. Your concierge session includes a hand-holding, customized experience for testing and selecting products, as well as guidance on proper methods of application. While working for one of the largest international skincare companies, Lindsay helped train beauty advisors across the country to properly assess customers' needs. She has since studied the science behind skincare and will help guide you through the complexities of ingredients and create a skincare story tailored to you. Please reach out to Lindsay to schedule a free concierge session or visit her website, storied-beauty.com, and on Instagram, at storiedbeauty. We are thrilled to have her as our sponsor for the month of May. Hi everyone, I am Emily Landers and this is How'd She Do That? a podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to today's episode with Lisa Saduki. If this is your first time listening, I'm so excited that you're here. And if you are a longtime listener, thank you guys so much for coming back again and again for our weekly conversations with women that inspire me where we ask, how'd she do that? How did they do that? How did they do X, Y, Z? And if you enjoy today's episode, we have over 150 additional episodes in our archives over on Apple. You can head to our library and check it out, as well as over 50 private uh, conversations and episodes on Patreon. Patreon.com slash how'd she do that shares the BTS of HSDT, which entails my many travels as well as lots of different business updates. Around the podcast, I have found that this podcast has basically been my. Business school. Now, for those of you who have been to business school, you might laugh at that, but 150 episodes in, I am learning so much, um, and it's been incredible to kind of walk through, okay, could a podcast be a business? If so, how do we do that? What does that look like? And as many of you are aware, we have sponsors. Lindsay Friedman from Storied Beauty is this month's sponsor. You guys can head over to storiedbeauty.com and use the code HSDT15 for 15% off your purchase all month long. Very fun fact, an HSDT connection, Lindsay is actually Lily's cousin, which I did not even put that together until after I had recorded with Lisa. So the podcast connections continue to amaze me. I mean, every step of the way, listeners, you guys have been so much fun. Reconnecting with guests has been incredible, and we are doing so in some really fun ways. Upcoming this summer, you guys are going to have a lot of great products, free products, eBay booklets and other info kind of resources from HSDT previous guests that we're going to be sharing with you all. I hope that you're excited about that and I hope that it's helpful to you. The majority of our DMs over on how Did She Do That podcast on Instagram or even my personal account at Emily Landers is around business owners trying to figure out the next step. You guys really have enjoyed those Patreon episodes where I share more of the BTS, the behind the scenes, and it's just been so fun to connect with you guys and to learn more about you and continue to see the momentum and what we can do with this awesome community that we're growing. So again, thank you guys so much for engaging on social, for letting me know what it is that you'd like to hear more of, and ultimately, sharing love and support to our guests, previous and upcoming. So I know you're going to enjoy the many shows we have on our way. Do snap a photo today. Let us know where you're listening from. You can tag Lili and myself. We cannot wait to hear what you think of today's episode, one I know you're going to enjoy. Here is Lili Suduki on how She Do That. Today's guest Lisa Lili Sudougi is known as the headband queen and embellished artist of her time. With an impressive roster working under the helm of Rebecca Taylor, Tori Birch, to name a few, she notably launched the first ever J. Crew costume jewelry collection and decided to launch her own brand in 2012 in New York City, focusing on accessories. Her signature headbands are rated the most comfortable in the market, and they also make special and joyful jewelry handbags, hats, and sunglasses that are a collector's dream, myself included. Included. She accessorizes everyone from Kate Middleton, Jennifer Lopez, Kate Hudson, and Zendaya, to name a few. She's also been featured in Vogue, New York Times, and many more. Lily can be found at their flagship stores in Dallas, New York City, Newport Beach, and most recently, Houston. Lily, welcome to How'd She Do That?
1: Excited to be here.
0: Oh, well, I'm thrilled to have you, and I just mentioned before we started recording that most recently I was wearing one of your pieces to the Taylor Swift concert, and you mentioned that that has been fun to see lots of ladies out and about in your colorful pieces.
1: Oh, yes. I was saying we've had a lot of Swifties in the store the day of the (laughs) concert uh, because we are known for everything just sparkly, fun, pink, happy, and it uh, goes well with all those ladies who are having fun with all their girlfriends going to the concerts. Yes. Oh, Well, it's so
0: fun. And, and I mentioned too, this is a, a big day for me. I'm so happy to have you joining me on today's episode. I've been such a fan from way back early days in New York City when you were launching. I remember seeing your pieces out and about. And since then, you have grown amazingly. So I'm ready to dive in. And listeners know we love to kind of begin at the beginning with our guests. So perhaps you can share a little bit about your
1: upbringing and then maybe ultimately
0: where you went to school.
1: Sure. I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas and the middle child of three girls. So grew up in a household with a lot of ladies. My poor dad had to have a lot of patience with all of us waiting for (laughs) us to all get ready to go to any event. And I will say, even though I was in a house with all girls, the three of us had very different interests. You know, my older sister was into sports. My younger sister still is quite dramatic. And then I was always the artsy one and loved to just create and find pieces and build things. And throughout my life, really started with drawing, kind of got into photography, a bit of sculpture and 3D work. And knew that I just, I had to do something creative. I never really thought or focused on fashion, but that was just the perfect outlet that let me create and make things and look good. And I believe when you look good, you feel good. (laughs) So that's just kind of been my motto since as a child. And I went to school in Dallas, went to university, the University of Texas in Austin, and I thought I should study advertising because for me, that seemed like a bridge between creative and, and quantitative. Um, but then after I studied it, I just realized that I wanted to go into fashion. So I kind of learned on the job. And this was back in, I graduated in 99. So this is, you know, when you're faxing resumes and you're going to boutiques, <laughs> it's, it's a lot more work hands-on or literally walking into stores and figuring things (laughs) out. And so I've just been fortunate to have had such good experiences at many fashion brands to kind of give myself the education to start my own brand.
0: Wow. Well, it's fun to hear, and it's always interesting to dive into, okay, yeah, what was the original thought in school? What was the original major? And so you did. You ultimately graduated, and it's fun to hear the Dallas connection. I'm originally from Dallas as well, and we have so many listeners who are from Dallas, so you do. You head to UT. And then what was that first role out of school? What did you step into post-grad?
1: I knew I wanted to experience Living in other places, I had studied abroad, I had worked in Spain, I studied in Italy, I'd been to a lot of different places. I was fortunate to do different summer programs. And after school, I decided to go, I was deciding between LA and New York. Hmm. And I ultimately went to LA because I knew that as an entry level salary. I would live a lot better than entry level in New York City in a little shoebox, <laughs> and so I went there for a few years. And I remember actually living in this big Spanish style house with my sister and another roommate. And when I did eventually go to New York, I definitely had to downsize my square footage. <laughs> right. But my experience in LA was working for a really small designer, and. It was so small that she did the pattern making and the designing. And besides her, there was a pattern cutter and an accountant. So you can imagine all the opportunity of things that I could just dig into and learn. So I would do the line sheets. I would do the sales. I would do PR. I would design assist. I would run out and work with all the manufacturers to get the production made or the samples made. And just holistically, it was an amazing experience to work for a small company because you can really get your hands wet.
0: Hmm.
1: And right off, off the bat for you to be able to do so, for
0: you to be able to step in and like you said, run around to even to the thought of, okay, yeah, you're doing PR, you're running around and doing the line sheets. I mean, right off the bat, you're able to see a lot of what goes into any company. So, so it's interesting right off the bat and in, in Los Angeles to have that early stage. Now, how long were you with that brand and was it, it sounds like it might've been clothing at that point?
1: yeah, it was clothing. It was a really small brand that doesn't uh, is not around anymore. And I was there for a few years, about three years, and then felt that I wanted to go to New York. And prior to New York, I decided to go to London and take some courses at Central St. Martin's, which is just such a world renowned school for fashion, and just able to kind of brush up on pattern making classes and draping and sketching. And um, till this day, I've not had the luxury of time to sketch or illustrate as I did that summer mm-hmm. because now everything's so quick. So it was one special time I can remember just like slowing down and being able to do those wonderful things that are so creative. And after that, I went to New York And I was able to have a beautiful portfolio because of the summer and the years I had worked in LA. And I started at Rebecca Taylor. And I started as a design assistant and managed pattern makers and did a lot of fittings and then moved into trims. And trims are anything that adorns clothing, like buttons, ribbons, bows, laces, brooches. And I just fell in love with embellishment. And I think... That's kind of what has started the course of having my own accessories brand.
0: Mm, That's so fun to hear and to think of Rebecca Taylor and her style and to think of the details and the trims that you were working on and then to know what you're up to now. That's really fun to hear and kind of connect the dots there. But I'd love to know because it's interesting just kind of even at this stage in your career and this point of the story, there's a real theme of the first word that comes to mind is bravery, but maybe that's a bit dramatic, but just confidence. It seems that traveling and stepping out, I mean, if I in this, this day, and it's right now in my life, someone said, I'm, I'm actually in Los Angeles. If someone said, okay, you've got to move to New York, I'd be like, what? No. Oh, I'm too nervous to do that. That's not something that I want to do right now. But what what is it in you that from such an early age traveling or even saying, okay, I'm going to go to Central St. Martin's and do this, w- what is that in you? Is that from an early stage and encouragement from parents? Where do you think that comes from?
1: I do think it is an early encouragement from my parents. I think of summer camp and I went to sleepaway camp and I see the difference. My husband did not. And we have two (laughs) kids who are now in second and fourth grade and our son just had his first summer last summer, you know, at sleepaway camp. Mm -hmm. And I had to explain it. I had to really think about how I developed as a person going to sleepaway camp. And I think it's one of the best things I ever did because I learned independence at a pretty young age. And and I think that gives you such confidence in just any future endeavors, whether it's going to university far away from your home or starting a new job or just saying, I'm going to go to New York. And even when I went to London, I didn't even have a place to live. And I was like, I'll oh figure it God. out. Yes. So. I think it's as early as summer camp and I'm (laughs) so happy that my son came back and he loved it and he's going back (laughs) next year.
0: Oh, that's amazing to kind of pinpoint. Okay. Yeah. Where does this come from? Because I'm impressed just hearing this portion of the story, but ultimately you do, you end up in New York, you're at Rebecca Taylor, and it sounds as though this has been a great experience. You're ultimately in that trim division. So you do, you hone your craft there, it seems. And how long were you there and, and what did maybe that exit look like to the next step?
1: I was there for about three years and this was when the team was very small. It was Rebecca and four other designers. So it's very exciting to be at a brand in its earlier stages of infancy when you can, you know, like Rebecca saw that I could draw. And so I ended up drawing this like watercolored fairy that we made into a print for a dress. Oh my so God. there's so much opportunity where people can really see what you do well And that's something that I mourn for some people that maybe don't go in the office every day anymore, Mm -hmm. because there's so many things that just happened because I was there, which I'll get into in a minute. Other opportunities after Rebecca, I went to Epolita, which is a jewelry brand, and that was my transition into jewelry. And they had a private label division. So I was challenged with different clients. Anywhere from Banana Republic to Club Monaco, Anthropologie, Neiman Marcus, Old Navy, all different price points, all different brands, and really studying their DNA and making jewelry for them. And so I think that was also a big learning curve, too, because I moved from trims to specifically costume jewelry. And I was not there for too long before this opportunity came up at J Crew. I was there for less than a year, I believe. And I had a friend that from high school that worked at J.Crew, and she said, you should just do an exploratory interview. And J Crew had no jewelry at the time. Oh. So I thought, well, I've done apparel, I've done trims, done jewelry for, you know, less than a year. And I went in and met with Jenna Lyons, who mm-hmm. this is before anybody knew who she was. <laughs> and she asked me, would you like to do jewelry? I said, sure, but you, know, you guys don't have jewelry. And she's like, we want to get into it. Can you come back with a mood board? Here's a budget. What would J. Crew jewelry be? Wow. And I uh, was like, did I just get the job? What just happened? <laughs> so I made this mood board of things that I love, You know, very colorful, very maximal, very retro pieces that worked with the DNA of J. Crew. And it was just such a wild ride to work for such an iconic brand, but a new department within a brand where you're just paving the way. So it was a lot of fun.
0: It's amazing to think about and to know, I mean, so many of us, I think those early days, that's really where we got to know you and got to see your eye and the amazing pieces. I mean, that entire realm of J. Crew at this point is huge. I mean, their jewelry, you, you, when you see J. Crew jewelry, you know it's J.Crew. So to know that your hands were on that in those early stages, is that mood board anywhere? Do you
1: still have that? I wish. I, I wish know, I had me a-
0: too. Or anything. I don't-
1: I don't think I have anything, but I know years later, we were doing something and Jenna was talking about how she really likes a paper cutter and for everything to be neat and clean. And she's she like gave me a little side eye because <laughs> my mood board was all like ripped papers and like just like my desk. You can't see it, but there's just everything on it and piled. <laughs> That's how I did my mood board, and so I know that. That was a kind of funny conversation about three years later where she's like, I know you didn't use a paper cutter. And she was right.
0: <laughs> oh, well, it worked out. It worked out regardless in your favor, which is so, so fun and really speaks to kind of the whimsical and, and creative element that, that you brought so early on. Now, tell us this. How long were you in that specific role? And, and maybe what was your favorite thing about working at Crew?
1: I started there as a consultant because it was a new division. And then I ended up working more than forty hours a week, so I ended up <laughs> going full time and it was just such a magical time at j crew from the years of like two thousand seven to to twenty eleven twenty twelve wow. and it was the company went public private public, and the you know everyone was was more conservative with their spending. And so J. Crew was just a great outlet for people to get outfits at a really attainable price point. Yeah. And the Obamas were wearing, Michelle was wearing it on Jay Leno, such a big deal. And it was just a really exciting time to be at a brand when it's really at its height.
0: Mm, yeah. And it's fun for us even to to think back and think of those years. And of course they've had a resurgence and they've been here all along, but but those years specifically, you think of J. Crew, you think All American, and you think of just the the different pieces that you were working on. I mean, I see pieces in my mind's eye that I'm sure you had your hand on to really make that iconic look for accessories. At J Crew. Now you mentioned, okay, this 2007 to maybe 2012. I always yep. like to just pause and ask. You're living in New York City. You've been there for some time at this point from Los Angeles. What uh-huh. what's kind of happening in your personal life during this season?
1: So I'd been there about 10 years, and part of the reason after J Crew was I had just gotten engaged, yes. and I had been there for about five years. And so, you know, I had so much fun in New York being single, out with my girlfriends, and a lot of whom were or still are working for different magazines or fashion houses. So we were all just kind of in the same place, going to the same events. And it was just such a fun time. And I think personally, when I got engaged, just rethinking what I want to do or how I want to prioritize my time and thinking that if i start my own line i can work when i want to work and if i need to be there for my kids or go to my kids concert i can do both
0: mm-hmm.
1: the reality is i work more than i ever did <laughs> right. you know when i have my own company but yeah. Even yesterday, my child had like a music concert at 2 p.m. and I was able to skip out for an hour.
0: Mm, yes, and to have
1: that flexibility and that thought early on. Now, I'd love to know this
0: because it's always fun to hear. What, what did it look like for the early rumblings of your own brand? Is this something that you had even thought of in college? Or was this something in the city that you felt more confident actually being able to step into and
1: realizing? What was that maybe that first moment of maybe I could do that someday? I love that you bring in confidence because I think that is so much part of starting your own thing. Mm-hmm. I think there are so many people that are talented and that are capable of doing it, but they perhaps lack the confidence to press the button and start. Yeah. And I'm so happy at the way that I did things where I had over a decade of work under my belt at such great heritage brands and felt really confident in not only design because that I knew I could do, but, Production, you know, I had been overseas many times with different companies and I had worked with the planning team and I even did copywriting at J Crew. And wow. I mentioned earlier, sometimes if you're physically there, you get asked to do things. I even did like fit modeling for a while. I did styling, wow. Jenna on the weekends sometimes. So I was really given such opportunity at multi-facets of a company that in retrospect, now I know like that was really beneficial. When I started my company, I, I knew a bit more than someone who was only laser-focused in design. Hmm. Such a great point.
0: And rare. I mean, in this day and age, as you've mentioned, not everyone is able to go into the office. And you're right. When you're there, it's like, hey, can you come downstairs and model this for us? Hey, can you run this? Can you do this? So I love that theme in your story that you really were hands-on, even way back in LA, very early on with that smaller brand, being able to, to do so much. And then, like you said, moving forward with these heritage brands. So it's really interesting to think through that and, and the difference that many of us are experiencing now, but you do, you have quite a, and
1: I will say this to all my employees, like Mm. I will give you as much work as you can do. And not even as much work, but the variance of work, you know, if you can see and you're with people and you could see what you're passionate about and you're like, you know what, you should really be doing this. You're really good at this. Like let's expand your role or let's move you into something that's interesting to you. So, I really do believe that you might have a certain job title, but you should show your skill set because there's so many more opportunities when you can expand what you do.
0: Well, it's such a great encouragement for anyone who's in a role that they're thinking, okay, I'm not totally in my realm, but hey, I could pick this up. I could pick this up. And just a quick side note, it speaks to your leadership that you think that way for your employees. You're like, wait a second, you're really good at this. Let's move you over here. So, oh, this is fun. And it's exciting to think, okay, at this point, Possibly in the story, you're thinking it's time. I, I want to do this. I want to start my own brand, and I believe this was it was launched in 2012. You can correct me if that that number is wrong. But what did it look like to decide this is happening? I'm going to do this. I'm working on designs.
1: What was that early stage like? I mean, the first thing to establish is how can you differentiate yourself from what's in the market? And being at J Crew. I realized that there was a void in that middle price point tier for costume jewelry. You could easily go to go to like an H and M or a Zara or a target or somewhere and pick up something fun and you're okay. If it breaks the day after, <laughs> or there's really dramatic costume jewelry. That's, you know, sometimes 800, 900, a thousand dollars. And there Wasn't really what I saw that much in the market that was kind of that mid tier, like really good quality, able to use real stones, able to do some beautiful things and be somewhere in between, you know, $50 to $300 price range. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of my first idea is to keep it in that. And my first collection. I remember it, my whole theme was Egyptian deco. Oh. So I took all these like beautiful columns from architecture where they were like hand painted with with different like hieroglyphics or just different little icons and I remember making a lotus necklace and like lots of scarab pieces and just kind of going into that world but I think what differentiated it is I knew where to make things in really good quality just from my past experiences mm. and and doing that level that feels very designer but something that you can pick up and you know afford to buy more for different outfits.
0: Mm. And that mid-tier, I mean, good grief, you're able to bring in this, yeah, the original line, the Egyptian deco, which I love. And I I even, I'm thinking, okay, wait, wait, where can we find some of these pieces? That lotus necklace sounds beautiful. I but, know.
1: I, I mean, do I wish? I certainly wish I had a beautiful archive, but <laughs> I think I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I think my sister might have a few of those left. <laughs> well,
0: fingers crossed, fingers crossed, because even as I'm sitting here, I'm like, wait, that's amazing. So you do, you launch with this, but it, it's interesting to think because at this stage, how are you then getting your products out? I mean, you had the experience to know, you know, the design element and then ultimately getting your pieces, having them made. Are you also doing the branding side of things at this point? What what did that kind of really hand in hand?
1: I believe in bootstrapping when you first start. I don't see a need to go to a very expensive PR firm or hire a big CEO. When you first start, you got to establish the brand, and you know, when you can afford the people, you get the people. Hmm. I will say, you know, my husband was um, integral part at the beginning because he built my website and registered the wow. name and did a lot of things, you know, for the company at the very beginning. And I designed it all myself, did all the production, did all the development. You know, I had someone help me to do. PR at the beginning so I could do a press preview. And the fortunate thing is my my work prior to that had paid off somewhat because I was known at J. Crew and there were a lot of articles, you know, based on the jewelry and highlighting me. So I was able to get in the door from my past work. And that doesn't guarantee anybody buying it, but I will right. say the first Person I ever sold to is Neiman Marcus before any boutique, before anything. And it's especially rewarding just, you know, being from Dallas as Neiman's is also from Dallas. And I still sell to them today.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, to have them as as some of the first, it's like, okay, I think, I think we're on a roll. I think we're moving forward. What did those early stage look like with with selling? Because I know lots of people, they might be out and about, they might be at trunk shows. Were you heavily focused on web, or really once you were able to kind of go into Neiman Marcus, there were other boutiques and and was the wholesale side really What you were focused on.
1: You have to also remember the timing in 2012. Right, Um, we didn't do Instagram yet. That that came like a year later or something. Yeah, my first season was 2012, so maybe I started in 2011, and that wasn't a focus was being able to reach all these people necessarily. So you were more dependent on traditional press and wholesale as your outlets. Hmm. And, you know, we sell to Bloomies and Neiman's and Nordstrom and Saks and Shop Up and Revolve and, you know, other international outlets as well. So that alone is great advertising and press. You know, back then it was more traditional magazines and we had, um, we just, we got amazing press Hmm. because I think that, I really do think there wasn't that much out there in the costume market And it's really big and colorful, and it shows very well in print and on screen. Easier than like these little dainty pieces.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's so fun, Lily, to think about this season because I'm thinking of my own life and how your pieces were hand in hand with them. It's really interesting. I'm sure listeners are experiencing the same thing, just even thinking back to that time frame. I mean, I, I'm sure I'm recalling press that I saw of your work during that time frame. just just the buzz around it. I think a lot of people were really excited about this mid-tier, but then ultimately really excited about your design. So you do, you step out in 2012, that's kind of the first season. What did it look like to, to scale and grow? Do you remember perhaps uh, a moment or maybe it was a moment in the press that you thought, okay, I'm, I'm really onto something.
1: This is really happening. We're moving forward. Things were really good from the beginning, and I was completely preoccupied. I had two children in the first two years of the business as well. Oh, as my
0: gosh. This.
1: So I think that's also a blessing, too, because now if I feel like if I started my company now, I'd be obsessed with the size of my Instagram following and this because yeah. I started when everyone else started Instagram, and so you know we've had time to kind of build it. And if you start now, I think you want that immediate r o i you you want to see immediately like uh, there's a post, and what did I sell from that but it's so it's it's more omni at this point so omni channel you see it in the store, you might not buy it, you think about it, and then you get home and you are reading online or looking at a magazine, and then you see it again, mm-hmm. and then you're shopping around and then you see our store, and then maybe you purchase it at the store. So I think that it's just hitting people from all different directions. And if you feel like you've seen it a lot and you still like it after you've seen it a few times, then you have to get it, right?
0: (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. And and this is such a fun conversation for for those who are listening. That yeah, what Lily's saying. You know, we hear that and we think, yeah, the, the social media side of things is so heavy on everyone's minds right now. But those traditional routes and the traditional framework of getting your brand out there that you did such a great job at is one still available to us, of course, but underutilized. So for you to have this foundation uh, of the press, and then like you said, to have these roundabout ways. Okay, let's add to the social side of things. You're going to see it here. You're going to see it in the store and then, yeah, you're going to come back and and purchase. It's interesting too, because you mentioned the social media side of things and stepping into that kind of with everybody else, right? When it kicked off, what did business look like as you guys navigated those waters early on? Was that a big emphasis for you to continue and step into, to e-commerce? I feel like you were kind of at the beginning stage of that as
1: well. Yeah. I had e-commerce from day one. Yeah. And given that it was before really a lot of social media, it came a lot from our wholesale accounts and in magazines. Mm -hmm. And so we were fortunate to be around in both of those places in a lot. And so our direct business has had such, you know, a steady growth for the past decade and definitely accelerated during the pandemic when stores were closed, you know, more people were forced to to look online and maybe prefer to buy it that way, but it's still the overwhelmingly majority of people still buy in person. Well, and your pieces are
0: so fun and so bright and impactful in person that I'm actually not surprised because when you see it, it's like, oh yeah, I have to have it. it when you see it in person, when you see a Lili Sudugi piece, you think, okay, yeah, this is this is coming home with me. So I'm not.
1: I'm, <laughs> well, it's, it's emotional. You know, yeah. there's so many stores that you walk into. And you walk into and you and maybe you're dreading it because you're like, oh, I have to get a new dress for this outfit. I just need more things for work. I need this. I need that. Yep. But when you come into our store, you have your suit or you have your dress, but you come in because you want something just extra. Yeah, you want something special to to make the look. And maybe you have that same black dress that you wear all the time, but you come to us because we're going to give you a fabulous pink striped headband with a big bow on it, a matching bag and our sweetheart pink sunglasses. And you can have a whole look and wear that dress 20 other times, but never in the same way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's so fun. Oh, it's so fun. I'm actually thinking of pieces in my closet I need to pull out after this interview and and yes. enjoy and enjoy with your accessories. Uh well, it's it's amazing because you know, those of us who are listening, many of us are familiar with your career up until this point. I mean, we've been able to watch it grow and of course, so impressive to to know the stores, the flagship stores that you have now. But I'd be curious, is there maybe an instance throughout your career specifically with your brand that maybe you'd Say failure actually help shape it?
1: I think there's been so many challenges. And I know that the whole world will talk about the pandemic as as a big challenge. Yeah. Where you're forced to evaluate what you do. You're going to scrap all your marketing because the person that you were talking to is not doing what you thought they were going to be doing when the pandemic started. And I expanded. I made masks you know, which mm, was the best yeah. accessory of the year. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I made them comfortable like our headbands, which are the most comfortable out there. You can wear them on an overnight flight. Mm-hmm. And I also made them cute. And I think that combination is the DNA that we really try to keep constant in the brand because you want it to be good quality. You want it to be comfortable and you want it to have good design. And so- When you have those three pillars, you can really do any category. So I'm constantly trying to expand categories. I mean, we have like little dicky removable collars. We do little lace, Mm -hmm. lace fringed socks. We have little charms for our phones, little AirPod cases. So whatever I can think of, I'm just trying to expand categories of accessories that haven't been focused on. You know, mm. working for companies like J. Crew and Tory Burch, where there was not such a focus on these accessories, the exception of the branded shoes and the bags, because that's a big business. But the other accessories, sometimes you feel like a bit of a stepchild. You know, when <laughs> I was designing that part, and I feel that there were not enough brands that focused specifically on the accessories. Mm. Um, and so that's why I wanted to start Lily Sadugi.
0: Mm. Well, so well said. And I, I would say you have commandeered the marketplace in the best way possible as the place to go, as the place to go for those accessories. Like you said, even the tiny, tiny details. And just a quick side note, it's so interesting to me that you're so creative. You mentioned that from, from early days of childhood, super creative, love to, to draw, love loved the design side of things, which usually leaves people with a lack of being, at least in my experience, detail-oriented, but you seem to be both. So I, I find that to be quite impressive that you're able to think, okay, not only the big picture of this beautiful design, you mentioned kind of a watercolor fairy moment at one point, and, and then also, wait a second, let's move over here to the, the tiny, tiny details of, of an AirPod case. That's, that's really, really cool. Yeah.
1: I I would say that's definitely something that I've found to be harder to find in people. Yeah. And when you say detail oriented, there's a specific part of that because I'm as messy as you can be, but I (laughs) know where things are and I am at peace with it. And I, (laughs) and I know that I'm not going to get it all done just because I have two kids and I have a business and I have a million things to do, (laughs) but I'm going to be at 100% capacity. I am doing as much as I can. Mm. I mean, if I even told you what I did before this call, which I ran in here one minute before we started, (laughs) um, the amount of things that I've gotten through for the day, but I feel good knowing that I've done my best and I'm okay that I haven't finished my to-do list. Mm. So I try to be focused and detail-oriented when I can. And I think given that, you just have to be okay with, you know what, that might have to wait till tomorrow. Mm, yes.
0: Well, so well said. And I, I think we all would be curious as to what you've gotten done. I'm, I'm sure it was quite a bit even before our call. But uh, Lily, this has been so much fun. It's been amazing to kind of unpack your story and to hear more about you and the specifics around your brand. I, I'd love to know, and, and this is a bit of a loaded question. I love to preface to guests, but what would you say is maybe the greatest lesson you have learned?
1: That is a good question. I I always think of hmm, I think the biggest thing that is most important that I could just love to tell everybody is there's two things. Number 1, you're never ready. So if you think I'm going to start my business but I have to do it when I'm ready, something always comes up. You're never ready. You just have to have the confidence to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I had two children the first 2 years of my business. And you know what? It was so hard, but so rewarding. And I think that if I waited until I had two babies, I might not have ever started.
0: Yeah.
1: So I think that's important. And the other important thing is surround yourself with good people. I know I'm not good at everything. There are things that I am good at. Like you mentioned, I can you know, design something very detailed and I could have big <laughs> ideas, but you have to lean on people or hire the right team that can compliment you. And, you know, at the very beginning and still my husband is a great compliment in that he had the foresight to, you know, you have to have your com when you start your business. It's not just wholesale and very high level things and surround yourself with a good operation, you know, a good operation and a team that is skilled at planning and buying and selling. And then when you have that, that, Group together, you can do well.
0: Mm. It's such great advice and such great wisdom as we have seen you grow, your brand and company. And like you said earlier, even looking around at, at your employees and saying, I think you're good at this. I think you're good at that. I mean, it shows. It shows in your growth. It shows in my communications with your awesome team setting up this call. It's been such a pleasure. So I love to to just see even, even slightly behind the curtain that that those tips of, yeah, you're never ready and then surround yourself with with great people. Those are lessons that you've truly learned and taken head on. Oh my goodness. Well, Lily, if I know anything after preparing for our call today and being a customer and fan of you for many, many years, there's always something coming up for you. So why don't
1: you tell us what, what's next? What can we be on the lookout for? A few more stores. We're oh. opening up Nashville in the summer, and we've got two more in the works. And also, as I mentioned, you know, expanding categories, what else can I do? I mean, we recently added Wallpaper. Oh my God. Um, as a category too. And the next things that I'm working on, which are on my desk right now, are some like really fun jeweled napkin rings. So I'm interested in not only accessorizing you, but your home too. <sighs>
0: Well, the sky's the limit. I think there's going to be some very excited listeners to hear not only that new category that we might be heading into, as well as Nashville listeners. You all will want to stay tuned for Lily's upcoming store in Nashville. Congrats on that! And most recently, correct me if I'm wrong, but Houston was just recently opened as well. Yeah,
1: we are only which opened up you know a month ago. So yeah, very exciting and we're coming up on a few anniversaries of our stores so i will have some events in dallas and i'll be out in newport california in a couple of weeks and Yay. then back in new york right after that so it was it's really rewarding that we opened up stores that have a lot of personal meaning to me i have family on the west coast being in new york for 20 plus years and, and then just recently going back to Dallas where our store is here, which I can get to in like six minutes.
0: Oh my gosh. So fun, Lily, So fun. And yes, yeah, so fun to know the connections to those original stores and moving forward with, gosh, Nashville. And then we'll stay tuned for the other two new locations. So exciting. And again, congrats on the most recent one, Houston, Nashville Upcoming. Well, Lily, this has been so much fun. Is there anything
1: that we didn't cover that you'd actually like to? I feel like we've covered a lot, but you know, when I think about just on a more macro level, what is what I try to make special about the brand is that every piece should just be such a joyful piece.
0: Hmm.
1: And if there is something in your life that just makes you happy, that you should know that you deserve it. And sometimes you got to take a minute out of your day. And I think of some of these stories, even, you know, when people had to like delay their weddings and get married later. Mm -hmm. And I just, I remember one DM of somebody who just said like, I had to cancel my whole wedding. I have to do it next year. And I just went out and I bought a crystal headband and I'm sitting by myself in my room and I'm so happy right now. And I was like, you are a princess. Mm. So I know we're not saving the world, but if I can make somebody smile or happy, and that fuels me to do more. Oh, I love that
0: example. Absolutely. And, and it's true. I mean, again, I, I feel so sentimental and connected to your pieces just because I think for, for so many years I've been wearing them. And I, I genuinely am thinking of some, just even in my jewelry box, uh, uh, some headbands. I'm like, yes, can't wait to, to put that on. And that's just what your pieces do. They, they yeah. provide a lot of joy.
1: I think that that jewelry and accessories are really sentimental pieces that have a lot of meaning to them, and a lot of people say, you know, I wear my grandmother had a lot of costume jewelry, and I wear that, and it's really special to you. Mm-hmm. And when I look at old photos, the first thing I look at is what accessories I'm wearing because then I can tell what year it is and what I was doing at that time and what I was making at that time. So it's really fun too. And I went back to my sorority and. I was wearing headbands in the composite shots when I wasn't such a headband person until I started doing them in like (laughs) 2018. And so it's really funny. You realize like what you like and what sticks with you. And, you know, it's just a good way to kind of show off your personality.
0: Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And it's just so fun as you unpack everything, what you've shared, it goes hand in hand with with the brand, what we know of it, and your your amazing pieces. So it's just been amazing to unpack. And I think one of the coolest things about HSDT and being able to connect with women like yourself is to hear just the theme. I mean, going way back to your J. Crew days, that friend of yours to say, Hey, let's do this exploratory, uh, you know, interview. Let's see where it goes. And so I always love to ask guests, who do you know that should maybe come on? And share their story.
1: Oh, I'm going to send you a list. I got a lot of ladies <laughs> that I think, uh, and men that I think have done phenomenal jobs. So oh. I will. I'll think about that and send it over to you. Wonderful. That's so kind of you. Thank you, Lily.
0: And goodness, I know that many listeners likely already follow you. They're probably already connected. But please tell us where can listeners connect with
1: you. You can find us on Instagram at Lili underscore Sadugi. So just put in L-E-L-E, which is my nickname for Lisa, and you'll find us.
0: Amazing. Awesome. Well, you guys head over and see her beautiful pieces. I'm sure many of you have already pulled them up on Instagram, the website as well, and do enjoy as you shop. Lily, this has been such a treat. Thank you again for your
1: time today. Thank you.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That, brought to you by Storied Beauty. Be sure to check them out. I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. I hope you'll join us next week for a new episode. We will talk to you soon.